Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio. I'm your host, Edie Summers, and I am really, really excited for our very, very special guest today, Mark David. Mark David is the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, and this is a kind of a new field, as far as I know, uh, food psychology and nutritional psychology. This is a fascinating area. Um, and it's, I think, is really going to be of importance for a lot of us out there. Um, anyone who's dealing with any kind of um, relationship to food that maybe isn't so holistic or empowering, um, this is the interview for you today. Uh, Mark David has a Master of Arts, and he's the founder, director, and primary instructor for the Institute of Psychology of Eating. Um, he's a visionary leader and teacher in nutritional psychology. And Mark is the author of the two classic and acclaimed best-selling books, The Slowdown Diet, Eating for Pleasure, Energy, and Weight Loss, and also Nourishing Wisdom, a Mind-Body Approach to Nutrition and Well-Being. Mark presents his expertise in nutritional medicine and the psychology of eating in a fresh and innovative way. His humorous, engaging, and informative speaking style have made him a popular and well-loved presenter, and his non-dogmatic approach to nutrition appeals to a wide audience of eaters who are looking for positive, inspiring, and innovative messages about food and metabolism. Uh, The powerful body of work presented at the Institute is a result of over three decades of Mark's research, inquiry, and clinical experience that were driven by one compelling question – How can we combine the best of nutritional science and eating psychology to serve people in a profound and truly effective way? And um, Mark is on the line here. I'm going to bring him on in just a few minutes. But I just want to um, give you a few more um, kind of nuggets of information about Mark before I bring him on. Um, Like I mentioned, he's a best-selling author of the works um, Nourishing Wisdom and the Slowdown Diet. His work has been featured on CNN, NBC, and numerous other media outlets. His books have been translated into over 10 languages, and his approach appeals to a wide audience of eaters who are looking for fresh, inspiring, and innovative messages about food, body, and soul. And the Institute for the Psychology of Eating is the world's only teaching organization dedicated to a forward-thinking, positive, and holistic approach to nutritional psychology. Um, And there's so much more that I could say about this, but I think the best thing to do is just bring Mark um, on and welcome into the studio. And just let's just get the conversation going about how we can develop a new and holistic approach to our relationship with food. So, Mark, I want to thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Thank you for having me here. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. It's such an honor. And I I have to tell you, Mark, um, I studied um, a little bit of food psychology um, back in the days when you were with the Spencer Institute briefly. And I have to tell you, like, I was just, I was riveted um, by the, the information that I was learning. And I just, I, I think that you're the, obviously the best person to talk about food psychology. I was just wondering if you could give us an overview about like what is eating psychology and food psychology anyway um, so people have a better understanding of where we're coming from. Well, I think it's really helpful to, in a strange way, start with what it isn't. A lot of people okay. hear eating psychology and they think eating disorders, and they think Mm -hmm. anorexia, and they think bulimia, or they Mm -hmm. think an extreme clinical problem uh, that you need intensive therapy for. And, yeah, there is a small percentage of the population that has an eating disorder and needs intensive help. But then there's this other group of people called the rest of us, (laughs) and this is the other 98% 
of humans who don't have a clinical eating disorder, but we have a relationship with food, and we might overeat every once in a while. We might binge eat. Some of us emotionally eat. Some of us have just all kinds of different food habits, eating habits that we don't like. You know, there's people who want to lose 40 pounds. There's people who want to lose four pounds right from this part of my body. Um, there's people with body image issues. So, so eating psychology, I, I developed the field I call dynamic eating psychology indeed as an eating psychology for everyone, uh, for anyone who eats. And, you know, the beauty of it is most people tend to think, well, what am I doing wrong? And how come I have this terrible problem? I overeat or I can't control my appetite. And we invariably tend to look at these things as a problem and as something that needs to be fixed. And uh, dynamic eating psychology looks at any challenge you have with food or body or weight really as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to look at yourself because chances are whatever the eating issue is, there's always a good reason for it. Uh, Sometimes it's a good emotional reason. Sometimes it's actually a good physiologic reason for what's Mm -hmm. going on. So instead Mm -hmm. of beating ourselves up because I overate, you know, we might want to look at, okay, well, what kinds of foods am I eating or when am I eating or am I starving myself throughout the day? That'll that'll cause me to overeat at some point. Um, Mm -hmm. Or am I dealing with a stress at work? that I really haven't addressed, that might cause me to overeat. So, again, instead of somebody saying, oh, my God, I have this terrible problem, I have to fight it, I have to beat it with a stick, it's more about looking at any eating challenge, any unwanted eating habit, again, as just a beautiful doorway to see how do I better myself. Mm, so well said. Makes I, I really... I, it does, and I, I'm really um, thank you so much for starting this and for starting the conversation about a, a whole new way of looking at our relationship with food. Because I think so many people do torture themselves, like, oh, I, I do have this 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 disorder, and like you said, that's such a small percentage of the population um, that. You know, this is, like you said, an opportunity, um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, like how this can be an opportunity for growth and transformation, but um, this is a doorway. I love how you use that word doorway. Um, And this doesn't have to be a a scary thing. This can actually be a really empowering situation if we can um, um, redefine our relationship with food. Um, But I also know that you have... I would like to know your history, Mark, um, and also how did you become interested in eating psychology? I think this would be really good for um, our listeners to know. Well, you know, oftentimes I think that um, our our work and our life and our purpose is, is born out of necessity. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I came into this world quite sickly and asthmatic as an infant and almost died a number of times in childhood mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. You know, my parents would take me from doctor to doctor, asthma, allergies, uh, and really nothing worked. This was, you know, back in the early 60s, and and I was of the generation raised on, you know, all the Fruit Loops and the Kool-Aid and the marshmallow (laughs) fluff. I don't think I ever had anything natural. I don't think I ever saw a fruit or a vegetable. And honestly, (laughs) don't know how it happened, but I recounted this story to my mother when she was alive, and we both kind of laughed when I was about five years old. I asked her to change my diet, and I wanted to eat fruits and vegetables. And, you know, coincidence or not, once she started feeding me apples and carrots, uh, my health started to change. But, uh, you know, I made a connection at a very young age that there was a kind of magic that happens when you put different foods in your body. And, and I, got, I got empowered you know, mm-hmm. as a little mm-hmm. little kid. Uh, wow. So that eventually, you know, my body probably healed, I would say, fully by the time I was maybe 20 or 21. I was really mm-hmm. on a lifelong mission to kind of fix myself uh, because mm-hmm. I also had childhood arthritis and my knees would swell. They were in terrible pain. Um, and And then I started... Mm-hmm working in the nutrition field as a professional, you know, again at a pretty young age. Mm -hmm. And 
here's what happened. I quickly noticed that no matter how much nutrition I knew, and you know this was this was back in the in the very late seventies, early eighties, when there wasn't a lot of nutrition books to read. You know, you can you can <laughs> get the seven or eight textbooks and maybe the ten or fifteen popular books out there, and then you were kind of done. Uh, <laughs> So there wasn't a lot, and, and I just started realizing no matter how much I knew, um, when working with a client, people would often come back and say, yeah, you know, you told me what to eat. I know what I was supposed to do. I just mm-hmm. didn't do it. Yeah. And a lot of my clients were very smart people. They were motivated people. And I quickly realized, my goodness, you know, good nutrition is good, but it mm-hmm. can't help people in their resistance, it can help people in those who are like hating their bodies. I couldn't understand that. Um, so I decided, hey, I want to study eating psychology. And I looked around and there wasn't any. And again, this was in, in 1982 or 1983, there was one clinic in the United States that would let me do an internship, but it was all about anorexia. There literally was not a place to study eating psychology. I just wanted to read a book. And I remember thinking, huh, if I can't find the book that I want to read, at some point I'm going to write it. Mm-hmm. And that just put me mm-hmm. on a fanatic, um, you know, eight or nine years to learn psychology and to begin to apply it to eating challenges and start to work with people and literally experiment uh, mm-hmm. and see what worked and what didn't. So. That's kind of how it came about for me. I I was just on this fanatic search to understand, you know, how the mind impacts us when it comes to our relationship with food and also how the mind impacts the body as well. Mm, and and I so well said. So I know we're going to get into that um like some of the ways that we can um through our our literally our mind um kind of change our relationship with food and how it, it can literally um, impact how food is digested and all of that. Um, we're going to get into that in just a few minutes here, but um, I have a, I have a question that I think a lot of us wonder about um, beyond the the question of why do I have such a difficult relationship with food. Um, I think that's always on the plate for so many people. But also, why do you think so many of us have body image it, body image issues? And do you think those are connected, um, the way that we, our relationship with food, do you think that's connected to our body image issues? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on on those topics. Yeah, I think it's all a nice big melting pot where everything gets thrown into the recipe and sort of influences the flavor and the taste. So, you know, a big piece of it is we are, whether we believe it or not, uh, we are intensely driven, influenced, impacted by, and dare I say brainwashed by the (laughs) images that Mm -hmm. come through the media, come through the culture, come through the airwaves, come on the Internet and in the magazines and on TV and in the videos, And from a very young age, we are shown the ideals of what it should look like, what your body should look like in order for you to be, if you're a man, in order for you to be acceptable and uh, attractive to women, and if you're a woman, in order to be loved and be desired by men. Mm -hmm. And these images Mm -hmm. are reinforced moment after moment after moment through, uh, through just every possible media outlet one can imagine. And this impacts us deeply, you know, just as, to me, all the violent imagery of video games and movies and TVs also impact the psyche in a very profound way. Mm-hmm. But we're also mm-hmm. told that, you know, my goodness, if you don't have the perfect body and if it doesn't have this perfect shape and this perfect weight, what are you going to do? Because otherwise mm-hmm. you're not going to be in the in crowd And lo and behold, the royal road that we're given to kind of shapeshift your body is dieting and exercise. Mm -hmm. I can exercise Mm -hmm. my brains out. I can diet and lose weight. So all of a sudden, the power is back in your hands, or so it seems. Mm -hmm. So we, so many people, see food as a way to achieve my perfect body, or the control of food, or the control of appetite. 
you know, I think we also <laughs> become more disconnected from our, or, or I should say, our body image becomes uh, so challenged when we are kind of disconnected from the body. You know, a lot of us are taught to spend a majority of our time living in our head. You know, the mm-hmm. body is kind of a life support system for your head. You know, mm-hmm. so we sit in front of the computer and we're not outside, we're not in nature, uh, we're not feeling ourselves. We don't eat. A lot of people, you know, they say they love food, they don't even taste it because uh, we eat so fast. So mm-hmm. there's a lot mm-hmm. of disconnection from the body. Mm-hmm. We don't even realize it. We don't even know it. We've, <clears throat> I think as a world, we're losing some of our naturalness. Uh, we're mm. losing our our kind mm. of animal or instinctive nature. And when that happens, the mind becomes more distorted. And mm. then the mind begins to think about the body and think about what the body has to do to feel good as opposed to just letting the body feel good. You can feel mm. good, you know, walking barefoot outside. You can feel good, you know, just having the sun on your skin. You can feel good taking a walk but if we're so disconnected, then the message is, well, you can feel good if you're really beautiful, and you can feel good if you have more money, and if you have this nice car. Uh, so we <laughs> chase things outside of ourselves to feel good, and all we have to do is sit down and breathe, and you can feel good. Mm-hmm. And I really, there's some really um, important points that you said there, Mark, um, about, I mean, first of all, I think there is a disconnection like you were saying, between body and mind, and then also how the media plays into that and really, really plays into it. And I think messes with our heads and our bodies as a result. And so um, out of that, people have developed this distorted relationship between their mind and their body. Um, And that's what I love about what you do because it helps to heal that connection um, and it, it helps to bring back about a, um, a holistic connection between mind and body. And we're going to get into this with like the, literally um, how you eat and when you eat. And, um, and you were saying that sometimes food issues are, um, well, because of maybe of stress. Sometimes they're because of our minds and how we're thinking, and sometimes it's because of stressful situations. And my, just my hope for people is that they begin to develop a new relationship with food and realize that it's not the enemy and also that their bodies aren't the enemy. Um, I just It just greatly saddens me to see people so at war with their own bodies and um, not being happy with the bodies that they have. And don't you think that's part of it is is not accepting, um, like you were saying, I love how you're saying just like letting your instincts take over and just, um, you know, sort of whatever your body is, just allowing it to be and and letting it talk to you as opposed to you trying to tell it what it has to be. Um, that's mm. kind of what I hear you saying. And, um, oh, I think this for is sure. Such a such an important message for people. I I can't tell you enough how much your your work has impacted me, and I know it's impacted so many other people so greatly. And I I hope that it reaches even more people because this is, I mean, this is one of the most important messages out there as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I know that um, we were talking about we've been mentioning um, how there are certain things like well we kind of maybe touched touched our toes in the water of in terms of like how you can improve digestion um, and maybe how certain things like stress might impact it. Um, so let's get into that a little bit deeper because I think this might give some people some peace of mind like in terms of physiologically how, how we eat and when we eat impacts um, how we absorb our food and how this might be a revelation for some people. Um, so the practical question is how can we improve our metabolism but the, uh, another question that might resonate with people is how, do, how does relaxation and pleasure, especially in particular, improve digestion? I think I, I find this part fascinating. <laughs> uh, that was a long question. But <laughs> kinda, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, Break it's, it down. <laughs> it's all good questions. You know, I think first and foremost, we have to begin by understanding that when it comes to this thing called nutrition and health, and a healthy metabolism, food is, what we eat is such a huge part of the equation. It's absolutely huge. And, and this is not headline news for most people. 
Um, good nutrition is important. We could argue about you know, what exactly is good nutrition. Different experts are going to say different things. But at the very least, most would agree, wow, the right nutrition is so important for health. But what I'd like to say is that is about half of the story of good nutrition. Is okay. what you eat. And, and the other half of the story is who we are as eaters, meaning mm. what is happening in my mind, what is happening inside of me, my psyche, my emotions, my feelings, and hence my body, what's going on because this vehicle that I live in will inform how the food it consumes is actually utilized. So it's no mm-hmm. different, okay. you know, if you're sitting by a window and you look out into the street and you see a bunch of cars, um, we could all agree that, well, this car over here, that car gets 60 miles to the gallon, but that car mm-hmm. only gets 20 miles to the gallon, and that car mm-hmm. might get 80 miles to the gallon. Well, what we're saying is you put the same gas, you put the same fuel in every one of those cars, and it just so happens that because each of those cars is different, it will metabolize and use that fuel differently. Uh, mm-hmm. You can have a car that normally gets 40 miles to the gallon, but if it's not running right, there's something wrong, it might only get half that much. The human okay. body is similar. Um, the human body is kind of preparing itself but <laughs> during any meal um, to digest and assimilate and pulverize that food. And what happens is that we are profoundly, our digestion believe it or not, our calorie burning, is profoundly influenced by thoughts, feelings, beliefs, most specifically, and this is easily seen, and we've known this probably since the 1920s, most easily seen in the stress and relaxation response. Mm-hmm. So in stress and relaxation physiology, you can, you can think of life, you can think of the brain, uh, you can think of physiology or the nervous system as divided into two halves. Um, you know, we have left brain and right brain. Uh, we have a masculine and a feminine side, so to speak. Have, are you still with me? I am, yes. Yes, great. Okay, so we have this thing called stress and relaxation physiology. The, the stress response really was an evolutionary mechanism. It was developed eons ago such that when the lion is chasing you, your heart rate goes up and your blood pressure goes up and blood moves away from your midsection and it goes mm-hmm. to your arms and legs for quick fighting and fleeing and it rushes to your head for quick thinking. And in the moments that a lion is chasing you, your digestion is completely shut down mm-hmm. because if I'm yeah. fighting for my life, I don't need to be digesting my breakfast cereal. All your <laughs> metabolic energy wants to go into survival. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing, stress, scientific definition of stress, it's any real or imagined threat and the body's response to that threat. Mm-hmm. So I can have a lion chasing me and I can go into a full-blown stress response which will cause me to be a very powerful, lean, calorie-burning machine for about three to four minutes because nature knows you have three to four minutes when you know, an attacker is chasing you. So your mm-hmm. metabolism is speeded up, your digestion is completely shut down, and, but it's a graded response. You could be in mild stress, which means you'd be in mild digestive shutdown. So mm-hmm. the point is this. You could be sitting home or at work, and you could be feeling miserable and upset and stressed for a hundred different normal reasons, and that will start to deplete your digestive capacity. Blood flow Absolutely. to your gut can be four times as less. You'll be okay. excreting nutrients literally as you eat. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the simple science, the simple science is that when the stress response is activated, that means our parasympathetic, uh, that means our sympathetic nervous system is turned on, which means digestion is turned off. It's, it's just a hard wiring. Now, mm-hmm. conversely, when you and I are relaxed, our parasympathetic nervous system is dominant, and when the parasympathetic nervous switch comes on in our nervous system, we're in full healthy digestion assimilation and day-in, day-out calorie-burning power. So again, the Mm. point is you could be eating the healthiest food in the universe, but if you're not under the optimum state of digestion and assimilation, which is relaxation, the physiologic relaxation 
response, parasympathetic nervous system dominance. If you're not in that state, you are literally not getting the full full nutritional value of your meal. You are literally excreting nutrition. It's it's kind of profound. So there's a lot of people yeah. walking around there who have digestive symptoms um, or who have all kinds of health issues that are related to nutritional metabolism, but it's all coming from they don't know how to modulate their body and bring on a relaxation response when necessary. Mm. And I just wanted to say here, Mark, um, I think this is an extremely important point, and I've noticed this in um, also populations where people deal with even because you can be like, you can be stressed out for many many reasons, um, I, and I also, like I definitely have experienced this with um, chronic fatigue. Like I need to stay in the relaxation response as much as possible in order to feel my um, appetite at all. But um, isn't it stressful to be thinking that you don't have um, a good body or like you're if stressing about body image or stressing about food? I mean that's part of the issue right there, isn't it? Is and so it's it's, it's well, that's why it's holistic. Well, bingo, absolutely, because Mm -hmm. remember, the scientific definition of stress is a real or imagined threat. Mm -hmm. So if I'm angry chronically at my mother, if I hate my life, if I don't like my body, Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm dissatisfied with who I am and how much money I make, that's anxiety, that's fear, that's stress. It's all the same thing. Anger mm-hmm. will cause stress. Judgment equals stress in the body. We don't usually think of it like that. If I'm hating on my body, I'm literally attacking it um, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. my thought. Any moment the brain perceives attack, it will go into some degree of stress chemistry. Um, okay. You know, science hasn't fully gone into this and dived into it because it would kind of put us face-to-face, I think, with really um, who we are and how we're impacting uh, our body moment to moment to moment. Um, But the reality is, you know, anytime we're in stress chemistry, you're producing more insulin, you're producing more cortisol. Both of those substances, when you are secreting them, creating them day in, day out, chronically elevated, they will most commonly signal the body to store weight and store fat and not build muscle. Just Mm -hmm. the opposite Mm -hmm. effect of what most people who want to lose weight would (laughs) want to have. So Uh the point is you cannot. It is is an oxymoron to think I will stress myself into losing weight. Um, (laughs) Now, are there people who do that? Absolutely. Um, But Mm -hmm. when you stress yourself into losing weight... Um, first of all, it's, it's probably a smaller percentage of people who accomplish that. Next, it is generally not sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the statistics show that 98, 99% of all people who lose weight on a weight loss diet gain it back. So, so this, the I will stress myself and hate myself into losing weight strategy isn't sustainable. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. it usually, and, and, and even if you did sustain it, most people end up just still in a place of stress. And, oh, my God, I can't gain the weight right. back now. Uh, right. So they're, they're still worrying about it. Of, right. They're Go in a ahead. state of misery. And, yeah. okay, you lost a bunch of pounds, but you're miserable. Um, you were miserable losing it, and now you're unhappy now that you're going to gain it back. What is the point? Um, mm-hmm. so, so we become a slave to our own mind and to these bizarre thoughts and habits that keep us rather unfree. Uh, They keep us small. They keep us limited, and they have us kind of, you know, running around like a hamster on a wheel in our own head, um, Mm -hmm. really never never really enjoying, this is me, this is my body, this is my life. Um, Mm. What's next? Can I just leave food behind for a moment and leave my torturous relationship with body. It has to look like this. It has to look like that. Well, who would you be if you didn't have those thoughts? Who would you be mm. if you were just okay? Where would all that energy go? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Where would all that energy go? And and that leads me to the question of how does pleasure improve digestion? I mean, correct me if I have this fact wrong, but I think I remember this um, from when I studied 
um, through certification with you is that is it 40% of food is digested um, because we enjoy it? Is that is that a true factor somewhere around that? That's a huge well, it, a huge it, number. You know, scientists have a have a term called the cephalic phase digestive response, and the cephalic phase digest cephalic means of the head. And the cephalic phase digestive response is a fancy scientific term for taste, aroma, pleasure, satisfaction, and the visuals of a meal. So when you start to sum total up all the research on the cephalic phase digestive response, um, you know, meaning a meta-analysis, scientists find something very interesting. What they find is that approximately 40 to 60% of your digestive and assimilative power at any meal comes from this head phase of digestion, tasting mm. the food, being aware of it, receiving pleasure from it, the smell of it, the visuals of it, satisfaction. So if you do the math, if you're not getting that head phase of digestion, it means mm-hmm. you're losing 40 to 60% of your digestive and assimilative power at a meal. That is a stunning scientific uh, piece of information. Um, it is. It's, it's it's absolutely stunning. If you know, if there was a pill that came out right now that said this will increase your <laughs> digestion and your assimilation by forty to sixty percent, it would it would be the biggest selling drug on the planet. Um, <laughs> but all we have to do is get present and be human, and be there mm-hmm. and be aware and taste our food, and all of a sudden something happens. The human body is designed um, to be present and aware. The human body is designed for pleasure. We are programmed, not just the human body, but any organism on the planet is programmed to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Even plants, Mm. for goodness sake, um, (laughs) have that built into their chemistry. So Mm -hmm. everything is programmed at the most primitive level to seek pleasure and avoid pain, And for humans, when you don't get the pleasure you're seeking from food, when that feeling of pleasure reduction in the body doesn't happen, meaning when the brain can't say, ah, received Mm -hmm. the pleasure I was looking for, it continues to Mm -hmm. look for it. Ah, And the way it continues to look for it is it says, hungry. So Mm -hmm. if you ever had the experience where you ate a big meal, and it might have been your favorite meal, but you were stressed, you weren't paying attention, you were on your cell phone, you were talking to people, and you finish this big meal that was your favorite meal, and you're still hungry. Your belly might be a little full, but your mouth is hungry. Mm. That's the cephalic mm-hmm. phase digestive response not being fulfilled. The mm-hmm. belly is saying, yeah, I ate a lot of food, but the brain is saying, I don't remember tasting anything. I don't remember pleasure. I don't remember getting what I wanted. Hungry. And then we mm-hmm. reach for more food, and you think you have a willpower problem, but it's nothing to do with willpower and everything to do that with I wasn't present in the first place. Ah, uh, and that's I think this is uh, I think if if this is probably the to me this is the most important point that I hope people get is that they can actually enjoy their food and enjoy it more and actually lose weight. And and even something about losing weight, it's about your body finding homeostasis and like what's going to be its ideal function and um, way that it can perform and also sustain you and you can feel comfortable and look good, it all has to do with your relationship with food. And and a huge part of this is relaxing into the experience of enjoying your food and not running away from it. And this in turn will improve your digestion and actually help you to find your ideal weight. Is that a – I hope I'm summarizing that. I just – I really want people to – understand um, how huge this is. So I'm just I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, you know, it, it's – there's so many, you know, great directions to go here. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are designed to have a certain weight. You're designed to have a certain height. You're designed to – function in a certain way. Our healthy weight is simply a byproduct of living in alignment with our biology Mm. and living Mm -hmm. in alignment with who we are as human beings. 
um, and I'm going to say living in alignment with, you know, what some people call just natural law. Um, and in natural law, we're not designed to be in a constant stress response. We are not designed to be constantly living in anxiety, fear, hate, mistrust, hatred of self, hatred of others, judgment of self, judgment of others. That's not our natural state. Um, mm. We are designed, yes, to be in stress, fear, and anxiety when there's a threat. Mm. If you watch an animal in nature, uh, you know, I've traveled to Africa a bunch of times and um, mm. have seen, you know, uh, a predator, a big hyena, come into a big herd of springbok. It's like a bunch of deer. Um, mm. And mm. those deer previously, those springbok were just hanging around, munching on grass, having a grand old time, not a care in the world. And then the hyena comes and hundreds of springbok will go crazy. They're running like mad because that mm-hmm. hyena is looking for a meal. And you have a lot of stressed out springboks. Um, <laughs> and as soon as the hyena catches one of them, mm-hmm. the rest will all stop. And they'll go back to munching on grass even though 10 feet away your brother or your cousin's getting eaten. Because those animals know, okay, hyena got his meal, I can mm-hmm. relax now. Right. So in nature, animals immediately let go of a stress response when they don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. Humans carry that stress. And when we okay. artificially live outside of how biology intends us to live, health becomes challenged. Digestion becomes challenged. Weight can become challenged. Symptoms start to show up. So we reach our natural weight when we start to live as our natural self. So we are meant to be creatures who breathe, who take in the sun, who eat food that's grown, you know, in accordance with how things (laughs) truly come from the earth. Uh, You know, it doesn't mean you only have to eat fruits and fruits off of a tree, but there's a way to produce foods naturally uh, mm-hmm. that are in alignment with our biology, with our genetics. So we've fallen away from that. So when you add up all the crazy stressors and the crazy beliefs and the amount of time we spend sitting down and consuming media that's kind of toxic um, and pursuing oftentimes uh, life pursuits that are kind of empty, it makes sense that the body would become a little distorted. It mm-hmm. makes sense that the body would fall out of alignment. And for a lot of humans, um, it often means gaining weight. Mm. And that, so, again, I hope, I hope people are listening to that because um, it's really important that we stop um, sort of torturing ourselves with, oh, this is, this is my fault and I have a bad relationship with food and it's really not... It's it's more about realigning mind with body and um and and redeveloping your relationship with food and so that kind of leads me to my question of um, what is mind body nutrition and I'm not sure where I got this question from Mark but I must maybe I read it on your website but you now is this related because of the mind part? Well, yeah so so okay. so mind body nutrition is a field that I essentially developed originated over the years which addresses how indeed half of the story of what we eat is good nutrition, meaning mm-hmm. from the outside in. The outside in meaning I eat, I eat this food, I drink this liquid, I take this herb or this supplement. That's outside in nutrition. Mm-hmm. 99% okay. of the field of nutrition for decades has been outside in nutrition. Mind-body mm-hmm. nutrition is the other half. It's inside out. So it's, okay. it's the study it's the psychotheology of how our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, our level of stress, relaxation, pleasure, awareness, the story we tell ourselves, how all of that is literally impacting our metabolism, literally impacting our physiology, mm. literally impacting digestion, as well as calorie burning capacity. So it's the global term for the study of how mind and emotions impact the body when it comes to nutrition. So another way of saying that is good nutrition is not enough for good nutrition. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) You have to look at who you are. You know, Mm -hmm. so 
something. So mind-body nutrition includes, for instance, meal timing. Um, Mm -hmm. You can eat the healthiest food, um, but if the bulk of your meals, if the bulk of your food, the bulk of your calories, let's say, is being eaten from 8 o'clock onwards at night, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a darn good chance you're going to gain weight. Uh, And... You know, it's a very typical study. Researchers will take a group of people, they'll put them on a 2,000-calorie diet, um, but the group of people can only eat that 2,000-calorie diet at breakfast, and the Mm -hmm. rest of the day they're not eating anything, and those people will lose weight or maintain it. You take those Mm -hmm. exact same people, and you give them the exact same 2,000 calories, and they can only eat it in the late evening. Everybody gains weight. Mm -hmm. Same food. And okay. same person, but it's something different happens in the body. So the point is, and, and this is no secret really to science, that we are creatures of rhythm. We are dramatically and, uh, and scientifically attuned to the, to the rhythms of the sun, to, the, you know, to, to circadian mm-hmm. rhythms, to bio-circadian cycles. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes sense that we would digest and assimilate and calorie burn differently at different times during the day. And that's how, Mm. for instance, sumo wrestlers, you know, when you go into ancient Japan, how did sumo wrestlers gain all that weight? There Mm. was no, you know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. There was no junk food back then. Um, What they would do is they would eat more food for sure, but they would eat it late at night. They would wake themselves up at 2 or 3 in the morning and eat food. Um, Hmm. understanding that metabolism is slowest in the late evening hours. Mm -hmm. So so this is all using the mind, in this case, to understand how the body works. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it doesn't mean if you eat food late in the evening, you're going to gain weight. It really depends on what you've eaten in in the rest of your day and sort of your exercise schedule. But I'm saying, you know, there's a huge group of people who do everything they can to lose weight and they don't lose it. And when you're stuck like that, that that oftentimes is a group of people who are starving themselves at breakfast and lunch Mm. and because Mm -hmm. they think, oh, my God, if I don't eat food, then I'm going to lose weight. But what happens is um, the body will go into, you know, a version of the stress response called the survival response Mm. where your body thinks it's on a desert island. So it (laughs) will slow down metabolism. And then you eat your food late at night because you're finally really hungry. A, your metabolism is slowed down because your body thinks it's starving. B, your metabolism, digestive and calorie-burning-wise, is slower in the evening anyways. Mm -hmm. So it's a perfect recipe for weight gain. If you gave me a million dollars and gave me 100 people and said, here, make them gain weight as fast as you can, I would would starve them during the day and have them eat a lot of junk food at night. (laughs) Um, and it's and doesn't that also include that also, it also comes back to the stress response and that fear mentality of like, oh, I'm too afraid to eat food during the day, but that's when your body needs it. That's when your mind needs it too, for that matter, to fuel your brain. And so it's also, again, about just allowing your a body to give your, give your body what it needs and let your body take care of balancing it out. Um, that's what I hear you saying. Um, in addition to um, all the other, I mean, you have amazing blogs. I mean, I highly encourage everyone to go check out your blogs because they're just they're mind blowing, and they're phenomenal. And you really go into this um, topic, I think, with like you, you go into like is it vitamin S and vitamin P? Like vitamin S is that sunshine, or I can't remember what vitamin P is, but just um, you you really like turn. Um, this whole area and uh, topic of food and body image on its head and, and really come at it from a fresh angle. And um, so I highly encourage people to check out your, your blogs and your writing. And, of course, your, your um, institute, which we're going to get to really quickly here, and I want to respect your time, Mark. Um, so um, I just wanted to ask you um, maybe just a few more questions. Um, I think this is a really important one. How can our food challenges be an opportunity for growth and transformation? We, you kind of hinted at this at the beginning. I'm wondering if you have any, like, maybe this could be tied in with a takeaway. Is there, what is the takeaway or what are, what are the opportunities here for, um, for growth for people? Well, I think the opportunity here is to take control back of mind and heart and soul 
and realize that we're not here to fight self. Uh, mm. It's kind of a silly activity. Uh, you're not the enemy to yourself. Your body is not your enemy. And we often spend a lot of time in, self, in self-critique and in self-attack and in self-judgment and self-hate. And the opportunity is to learn to let that go because as you let that go, you become a more empowered human. You become a happier human. You become a more effective human. You become a more abundant human. And the things you actually want start to come to you. Uh, it is harder to express ourselves in the world most fully when we're constantly tearing ourselves down internally. You know, if your friends said even five of the things that you say to yourself on a daily basis, they probably wouldn't be your friends, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of all the negative yeah. self-talk we have in our heads. So the opportunity mm-hmm. here is really to learn um, – to be in alignment with self, to learn self-love, to learn self-respect, to learn self-dignity, and to let go of the, the self-imposed nonsense that holds us back mm. and begin to step mm. into our potential. Plain mm. and simple. So food offers a beautiful way to do that because so many of us find that, wow, the food and body thing, that's where... That's where I'm all knotted up. That's where I'm stuck. That's mm-hmm. where I'm all upset at myself. Great. Then that's mm-hmm. the place you work. <laughs> mm, so well said. And um, and I wanted to get to your books, but I, I think it's more important to, I want to ask you about um, how did you start or why did you start the Institute for the Psychology of Eating? Can you tell us about it? And also, if anyone's interested in per- pursuing eating psychology as a career, um, how would they go about that? Because it's a fantastic field. Yeah, thanks for asking. So, you know, sure. I started the Institute for the Psychology of Eating maybe about eight years ago. I was I was traveling around just everywhere around the country and around the world, and, and I got a little bit tired of being on an airplane so much. Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, okay, it's time <laughs> to stay in one place and, and mm. start a learning organization. You know, really, truly, I wanted to teach um, especially professionals how to do the work I was doing um, because I was just having tremendous success with clients over the decades with overeating and binge eating and weight and body image and emotional eating and even all the, you know, nutrition-related health concerns like digestion, immunity, fatigue, mood, and more. I was mm-hmm. having, you know, very unusual success um, <laughs> with with the techniques and the strategies and the approaches and the protocols that I've been doing over the years. So I started the Institute and started what we call the Eating Psychology Coach Certification Training, and it's grown to be an online training over the years. So it's a distance learning training. We have many hundreds of students from all over the world uh, mm-hmm. who who study with us for this eight-month training. It's a certification training. It's, it's hundreds of hours. Uh, and it's an audio, video, slideshow, hundreds and hundreds of pages of handouts, uh, case studies. It's just very compelling material. We have live teleclasses. We have an optional live event uh, at the end of the training. So it's it's very powerful. It's very life-changing. You know, mm-hmm. for people who are career changers or students, it's, you know, obviously an amazing body of work to learn and and we also have so many people who are already a helping professional of some kind, and it, it takes your practice and your work with clients to really a whole new place. So, you know, people can go to psychologyofeating.com. That's the website. Or you can also email us at info at psychologyofeating.com. And, you know, we have also um, online programs for the public as well, for those who are interested in you know, doing this work as a professional but want to really sort of turbocharge your own relationship with food. And, and, and also, if you, if you get on our website, we have a free, uh, a free video guide called the Dynamic Eating Psychology Breakthrough where I go even deeper into a lot of what we've covered today. So that's, that's a nice freebie of information to kind of Absolutely. get people started. 
And people can you can find both of those links on the show page. Um, and I just want to mention your website again. It's the psychologyofeating.com. And it, really, the um, psychology coach certification training I think is the perfect way to heal your own relationship with food and then to help others. And who better to help others than people who have gone through it themselves? So that would be my two cents on that. And then, Mark, I know it's time for you to go. I just wanted, if you wanted to, um, I know that you have another. Didn't you start a whole new thing, like conscious sexuality and relationship? That's like a whole new part of your um, program now, isn't that? I don't know if you wanted to mention that, or you may have to go. But I just wanted to thank you so much for being here either way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're creating very slowly the Institute for Conscious Sexuality and Relationship. Uh, if, you, if, you get to, if, you, if you go to conscioussexualityandrelationshipconference.com, we have an online conference that will be producing to kind of launch this where I'll be interviewing, oh, God, a lot of experts, maybe maybe (laughs) 40-plus experts in the field of relationship and sexuality because oftentimes these areas, everything's connected. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. it is, it is very much connected, and um, I, just, I just can't, there's so much ground we covered today, Mark. I just want to thank you so much for being here, and I know this is going to be um, just invaluable for people um, redefining their relationship with food, and um, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm very honored, and thank you for the great work you're doing in the world and getting the word out and, and <laughs> just being so passionate about health and healing and growth and and what a great service so so thank you thanks mark um i i'll talk to you in a little bit take care have a great day bye-bye and thanks everyone for listening you've been listening to the wellness coach on blog talk radio and um, i just want to thank mark again for being here and yeah i really encourage you to go check out um, his website is the psychology of eating.com and also there's a free gift free gift for listeners who may want to learn more about um, the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, and it's the, called the Dynamic Eating Psychology Breakthrough. And you can click on the link directly on the show page. If you're listening on, um, say, iTunes, um, go ahead and come on over to the Wellness Coach on Blog Talk Radio so that you can click on that free link. And um, I also encourage anyone to go ahead and follow us. Um, we have some really exciting new developments coming up here on the Wellness Coach, um, joining forces with Smash On and um, we're building Smash On Club, which is going to be an online alternative health community as well as um, offline um, real-time communities in your local neighborhoods, all focusing on alternative health as well as smashon.com, which is going to be launching really soon, doing real-time deals in alternative health in your neighborhoods. So it's really, really exciting. Um, Come follow me on Blog Talk Radio, The Wellness Coach, and we have some um, really great shows still coming up here. So thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a beautiful day. Take care. 